0: All right. Good morning, Reach Church. So if kids want to head out to Reach Kids, they can do that. Off we go. All right. So we are continuing in our series, God-Sized Conversations. So we've been uh, gathering questions. We've gathered lots of questions, uh, not just from our body here, this campus, but from the other campus, from uh, non-believers, from people who are visiting during the Christmas season, and actually, this week's question comes from one of those people, one of the kind of visitors who wants to know, like, and is asking this, this question really honestly about how can we prove that what we believe is real, that it's true? How do we approach that question? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that question for us, and, uh, and then we'll talk about it. So here it is. Our faith is just that, complete faith. None of us know beyond a doubt that what is in the Bible is actual happenings. We do not know it's true. Could it all be parables? Could it all be a storybook? Let's face it, none of us were around when these events happened. And let's remember the Bible was written thousands of years ago and has been transcribed thousands of times. I personally have an incredible faith. And I'm not being cynical. I simply want to know if my thoughts are shared with anyone else. How do you share Christianity with no proof? okay this is a great question a really good question and I think we have to be slow with this question because I think we can do quickly like reject the things that it's saying or or get our, ourselves up in a stance that we need to we need to fight for the, the proof of the scriptures and no it's not just about faith it's about the truth but I think we have to slow down and it's a very honest question and actually it gets it how we really feel about these things? that For many of us, we want, to, like, when someone asks us, okay, like, why do you actually believe in all of this? And we do struggle. And we say, well, uh, it's a matter of faith. Uh, I, I can't explain it. It's, it's hard. It really is hard. But we want to have an answer. We want to have something to give to people. Um, something beyond just, well, that's just what I believe. Now, this is an important question because in our midst, there are people who do not believe the gospel. Who don't, who don't know if this is true or not. And we want to believe not just because it's, it's a good message. It is a good message. But we want to believe it because it's true. And because it's real. And there are people here this morning who want to believe. But have doubts and seriously question if this is the truth. Or just something they have kind of been tricked into thinking or have always grown up with. Now you want to know that these things are are true and have real reasons. Now for those of you who already feel like you're secure in these things, you don't have many doubts, then this is still a sermon for you. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. How, how do you do that? How do you regard the Christ the Lord as holy? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. All right, so we should offer a defense for the things that we believe, for the hope that is in us. When we have a chance, we should be excited about those opportunities and give people something real. All right, that's where I'm going to challenge us in, in three different ways. First of all, test. Test your defense. And make sure it's legitimate. That it's true. All right, there's nothing worse than a Christian who, or even a group of Christians, who, they hear an argument that supports their, their beliefs, which is great. Yes, we want, our, we want the, the argument to fight for Jesus. But if it's a stupid argument... We shouldn't just say, well, it's fighting for Jesus, like, hooray! Alright, no, that doesn't count. Alright, that just makes us look dumb. You have to be careful. You have to test the arguments, see if they are legitimate. Like, test your own and, and fight for your own arguments as much as you would fight those of a non-believer. Alright, test them. Don't just jump in and get excited. Alright, second. Second, uh... We are called to gentleness here. Yet we do it with gentleness and respect. Alright, gentleness, gentleness means time. It means listening. It means having a real conversation with a non believer. Engaging them in what, what they want to talk about, not what you want to talk about. Engaging it in their arguments and their questions, not the things that you want to talk about first. Actually relating to them as, as people, not cramming it down their throats. And finally, we are called to to do this with respect. With respect. All right, that's where we are arguing for Christ. And we should argue as Christians who are abundant in mercy and grace and love and kindness. All right, I'm going to rebuke you as your pastor here. That I've heard too many like, well, atheists believe. All right, you don't get to do that. All right. And then you come up with like the goofiest thing and like that we're all monkeys and like, no, like, all right, you don't get to do that anymore. All right, please just knock that off. We're charitable with their arguments. We want to address them where they are, not just put up a straw man and beat it to death. Um, And be gracious to non-believers. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Help them in their arguments and then show them that, that there's something better in Christ. All right. So, that's kind of the counseling aspect. Now we just jump into the the truth. All right. Uh, We're going to answer this question in three parts. All right, the first is, how can we offer, like, legitimate proof? What kind of proof are we looking for when we're trying to talk about uh, God, Scripture, Jesus? What can we actually offer? All right, second, how does creation, how does general revelation, the official term, point to this, that the God of the Bible is real? And third, what is the evidence that, that this Bible that speaks of the work of Jesus is legitimate, is believable, is a true representation of what Jesus Christ has done? So we're going to talk about uh, how we're arguing general revelation, special revelation, and then, then we'll call it a day. So with that, let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself. That in all of your glory and your perfection, you could have kept yourself um, hidden from us. And yet, Father, you revealed yourself in creation. You revealed yourself in Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for our sins and raising for them. And so, Father, I ask that you would give us um, true defenses. Would you bolster our faith? Would you um, enlighten our hearts? Would you open our eyes to see Jesus and to see the, the truth of what you, who you are, what you've done, and and just how beautiful you are in Jesus? Father, would you let these things not just uh, stop here, but go into the world that more may see Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. All right. So, first question. Uh, is trying to answer this, okay, how do you share Christianity with no proof? With no proof. I'm sure like, a lot of us don't like that, that question because we say, no, there is proof, there is proof, but we have to recognize certain things. We are never going to have like an airtight, indefensible, like you, you cannot attack this argument, argument. That's never going to be given to us. And we have to accept that actually, yes, there always will be faith. And that when we are calling someone to Christ, we are not just calling them to to assent to an argument, to finally give up the ghost, just, oh, oh, fine, fine, I'll take it. Like, no, there will always be faith. You can always argue more. And so, what are we offering? We're not offering an indisputable argument. We are offering a defense. And we're offering a reasonable view of the world. And we're offering that Actually, belief in, in God, the God of the Bible, in Jesus Christ is reasonable. That it's probable. That it's viable. That it's more legitimate. But not like, oh, 100% you have to believe it because I just said this. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that, okay, we, we can't just offer this airtight argument? Well, uh, that can be kind of discouraging at first. And oh, we think, well, okay, we, we can't really convince people. But the reality is that we don't have empirical definitive proof for much, many of the things that we believe. That oftentimes, and most times, we are living by faith in something. And we're living outside of, oh, I have a, a physical, tangible evidence this is true. All right, so let's take a, a kind of silly example Alright. Is real life real? Is life real? Are you actually experiencing reality right now? Is it just an illusion? Is it the matrix? Is it a dream? And you ask, okay, prove it to me. Prove it to me that you are experiencing reality right now. And it's not an illusion. I want hard, tangible evidence that is untainted by this view that can prove it to me. Like, you cannot offer that. And you're saying, Well, uh, I, I see it in front of me, like your eyes can be deceiving you. No, I'm sitting on the chair. How do you know you're sitting on the chair? I think, therefore, I am. Like your thoughts could be an illusion just as much as anything else. But but nonetheless, we kind of universally accept that this is reality, that things are real. And it's not unreasonable to think that it's actually you're you're an idiot if you don't. All right, story time. All right, so one time I uh, was talking talking to someone about this kind of thing. Esther knows it's reality. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was talking to a guy about this, and he was like, he was the happiest uh, anti anti everything guy I'd ever met, and we were talking about like, okay, so you like. You really believe, he b- believed that you can't believe anything unless you have empirical, tangible evidence. And we talked about this, and we're like, so how do you prove that there is a reality that this isn't just an illusion? And he said, you know what, I, I, I realized that. I think everything is an illusion. And everything I see before me isn't real. Now, he was there with his little brother. With his little brother. And we asked him, like, so your little brother, like, He's an illusion? And when big brother said yes, you could see the face of little brother changing into like, he was so proud of his brother. Like, wow, my brother's so smart. And then all of a sudden like, oh no, like, <laughs> like older brother looked like an idiot now. Because like, if you follow some of these things to the end, like, you will become an idiot. You'll be foolish. And that, that's one of those things that were we're realizing is that there are some things that we truly believe and if we don't believe them, we end up throwing out the the bathwater and the baby and all of life. Alright, but it's not just that. Because we could say, okay, you, you think something weird, but it doesn't mean it's wrong, but the other thing we noticed is that this guy, he couldn't actually live out those beliefs. And we asked him, okay, so you're going to school, right? And you like have conversations with your little brother. And you're nice to him, like, and he had to admit, like, yeah, I don't believe any of it's real, but I, I treat it all like it's real because otherwise I don't really, what else are you going to do? I guess I like it that way. And that's where whatever you say, your real beliefs, your real faith is expressed in your practice. And this guy didn't believe everything was an illusion. He couldn't. He couldn't try to live that life. It didn't make any sense. And that's what happens when we just start rejecting all of this stuff that we know to be true. All right. So, there are lots of things that, that we believe without rational arguments. Things like, oh, logic actually works. Like, prove that logic actually works without using logic. You can't do it. That's that kind of stuff. We just believe that it works. We've seen it. We know it. And so, how does that help us when we're addressing non-believers. Alright, what we don't do. We don't all get on the same field and say, okay, let's all pretend there isn't a God and then we'll try to find evidence for him. And if we can find enough evidence, there is a God. If we can't find enough evidence, there isn't. No, that's not legitimate. Instead, what do we do? We say, Here is, here's, my, here's the Christian worldview. Here, this is what I, I believe in. And you, you believe in this, let's compare the two. Let's have, a, let's have a battle here and say, which one is more reasonable? Which one is more consistent? Which one makes better sense of the world that we see out there? Which one makes better sense of what I feel and here? Which one squares with reality? And we can test which one seems then to be the better Worldview, the better faith. Now, when we do that, we actually have an amazing promise in the Bible. An amazing promise, a, an amazing truth from Romans 1. And Romans 1 says that actually, every single believe, person out there does believe in God and lives as if they believe in God because they can't live without believing in him. So let's read Romans 1. For what we know about God is plain to them. Or sorry, sorry. What can be known about God is plain to them, to the unbeliever, them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish minds were darkened. Alright, what is this really saying? Alright, this is saying that every single person out there, every single person you meet, knows God. And they know what the world actually looks like. They know it in their guts. And as much as they might try to deny it, their belief in God, like, leaks out all over their lives. And we can see that, okay, you don't really believe in what you're saying you believe, you actually believe in God. It's evident on, throughout your life. And so our job is not to assume that there is no God and then build up a defense. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to just show them that they already believe in God and that their life evidences that they believe in God. And it's not that they truly don't believe, it's that they're in denial about it. That they have willfully blinded themselves to believe in God. Because they don't want to worship him. They don't want to thank him. They don't want to love him. Now, that should make us incredibly humble when we go about this process. Because we're not just dealing with people who need arguments. We need people who need, who need their eyes open. and need their hearts broken. To see that they're in rebellion against a God that they, they want to deny. Alright, it should also give us incredible passion, compassion for the non-believer. Alright, we don't get to look down on the non-believer because they're blind just like we used to be blind. They're deaf just like we used to be deaf. We all were there at some point. Even if we, you're saying, oh, I, I was a believer my whole life. Like, well, whenever you sin, you're here. You're in denial that there is a God. And so we... We show them these things so that they might ultimately receive Jesus, be restored to him, might see that that life is better with Jesus, willing to see all these things, than in rebellion. So, with that, let's jump into talking about general revelation. What are the clues that are built into creation itself that show that people already believe in God? All right. So the first one, and I think the most helpful, in my opinion, and this is like, I could give you a hundred reasons, these are the ones that are compelling to me, you probably have ones that are compelling to you, that I don't really care about, but these are the ones that I think are helpful. So, uh, I think one of the most compelling clues that people know God is that they believe in the existence of evil. They believe in the existence of evil. Now, too often, we're kind of really careful with evil and we say, oh, we try to protect God from it. Well, God isn't the author of evil. How how could a perfect God create evil or, or allow evil? All right, but the very fact that they're asking that question means that they are seeing something that according to their view of the world, they shouldn't be able to see. And they cannot explain and is not part of their whole experience. But it's there nonetheless. And so we recognize that throughout history... People have known good and evil. And they've been, had like large consent about it. Throughout cultures, throughout times, throughout religious systems. And they know what evil is. But you could say that, and maybe someone would say this, they'd say, well, no, I, maybe, maybe I believe in evil, but I, I know that it isn't real. I just feel that way. I probably shouldn't feel that way. But that's not really how people engage with it. When people encounter evil and when they see the the injustice of the world, do they experience it it as subjective or objective? They experience it as objective. It's true. It's real. And all of us, I think, can see that. That when we see images of, of wars where innocent villages are napalmed, like we see that as, as not just a, a neutral thing that we happen not to like. We see it as, as evil. When we read about the Holocaust, we don't say, oh, it's a, I wish that hadn't happened. No, we say like that is cruel and evil and horrible. When we see someone who is abused and mistreated because the abuser gets joy out of it, We don't say, oh, that's that's just his preference. Like, no, we say that person is committing evil and should be stopped. Everyone has consensus on that. And that's where we have to call the the non-believer to be honest about what they believe and to live out of what they believe. Because if there is no moral standard, if there's no God regulating any of this, there's no such thing as evil. There's preferences. There's things I don't like and you don't like, but, you know... It's really all up in the air. And for anyone to say like, oh, I'm gonna go stop that, like, we're gonna stop that genocide because it's evil, you can't say that. And they could throw back at you and say, you know what, all that is is natural selection. And the weaker being destroyed, the stronger rising up just like it's supposed to be. That actually to fight evil and to fight injustice would be kind of slowing the wheels of evolution but no one lives like that. No one believes that. They know better. We have to challenge and say, like, when you're saying this is evil, you know you can't really explain that without a God. But if you do believe in the God of the Bible, you can explain it. You can make so much sense of this. Because we're actually humanity. We're We're made in the image of the God who hates evil and loves good who's given us a knowledge of what it looks like to honor and worship him and what it doesn't. And God has actually built into us a hatred for evil and a desire for justice. It explains uh, so many things that we experience related to evil. So like, if you're We've all kind of experienced the guilt and shame of, of denying a God or of, of doing evil things that no one else has seen. We should, why should we feel guilt and shame about it? Because we know we stand before God. We've all experienced hypocrisy and we've experienced where we actually see evil in other people but we don't see it ourselves. We can explain that because of sin. God shows us exactly why that happens. We can make sense of the world. And that's where we, we say, okay, your worldview, my worldview, I think my worldview can explain evil and how we feel about it and how we react to it so much better. More legitimately. More consistently. All right, that's the, that's the negative side. That's the negative side. Let's take a more positive side. I prefer the more negative side. I think it's more, like, more tangible and real and... Uh, I think it makes more sense of who I am in my heart Uh, but I'm a negative person so uh, for all you optimists out there, we're talking about the positive side too. So, uh, we live also in the midst of a world where we believe in these things called meaning and beauty and love and goodness. Meaning, beauty, love and goodness. And we have to ask, okay, how do we feel about these things? I think, largely, we believe there is meaning, and we live as if there is meaning. We believe that these relationships that we have are characterized not just by genetic tolerance but by love, and that love is something real. And we experience beauty not as something just kind of like, I guess I prefer that, like, no, we believe in objective beauty. Then we all stand on the mountaintop and look out about across the landscape. We can say objectively, like that is beautiful. I think there's something real called beauty. And if you were to deny it, Bob Umberger would say you're an idiot, right? Because he'd say, like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. It is beautiful. This isn't something that just like you like and I don't. Like, it's there. When you look at a painting, like it's there. Alright, so we can explain that. We can explain why we believe those things. And we can say, okay, we believe there's meaning because God created us and he gave us a purpose that was going to last for all eternity to worship him forever. And we could line up with that purpose or not. We can say, we believe there really is beauty because God is, is the, the beautiful one who created all of these things to reflect his own beauty. We can say, no, we believe that love is real because God is love and we are made in his image. We can say goodness is real because God is good and he created all things good. Now, what does the non believer say to that? If there is no God, then all of these things that feel like they're real are tricks of the brain, they're tricks of the brain. And you'd have to say, you know what, it might feel like there's meaning, it might feel like there's love, but you know what, none of those are real. First of all, first of all, that doesn't work. Because you end up looking like that that college kid who starts looking really foolish. Because what they're saying is, you know what, you might feel that way, but that just means your brain is broken. Your brain is broken, it's tricking you into thinking that there's love and meaning. There really isn't. All right, but you can, you can turn that around. It's a double-edged sword there. You're cutting me with it, but I'm going to cut you with that same sword and say, well, then you can't believe anything either. You, can, you can't know anything because your brain might be tricking you with evolution. And so then we're all back in square one knowing nothing about anything and we all look foolish. We've denied all of these things that we just assume to be true that are so clear to everyone because of our unbelief. All right, but even more than that, you ask that person, okay, do you live like there is no goodness, no beauty, no meaning, no purpose, no love? All right, we ask that same person, okay, when you go home to your wife, do you say like, you know what, dear, like I'm so glad that my neurons decided to connect to you and convince me that I shall be attached to you for the sake of our offspring." <laughs> All right, that's not a very good Valentine's Day card. <laughs> All right, and if you try it, like, you just slap you, because, the no. All right, and your kids, like, like, Daddy, do you love me? Like, you know what, I'm genetically predisposed to, like, put up with you so that I can, like, propagate my genes. <laughs> All right, like, you can say that, but, like, no one does, because, they know that that would like crush that poor little child and like it just isn't how it feels. All right, and we take something like beauty and we objectively can say that things are beautiful. When you go to the art gallery, like you're struck by beauty and you can't just try to deny it. It doesn't just, doesn't feel like a, an illusion of the brain or purpose. No one who believes there is no purpose can actually live like that. And if they do, they get destroyed by reality. They get destroyed by the reality that if you have no meaning, you cannot live. They kind of get smashed by the reality of this life, that it does have meaning and purpose, and without it, you can't live. So, there are reasons. And we hold up these two worldviews and say, "I, I can make sense of the world, it makes sense to me. And that's where we, we have this feeling like, well, I just believe because I believe, I think it's because of that. It's like, oh, it just makes sense to me, but we want to explain how those things make sense. Because the non-believer, when they hear, well, it just makes sense, or I just believe it, that sounds stupid. But if you explain how it makes sense and what it makes sense of, then it actually, it works. It fits. Alright. Um, now there's more reasons. There's more reasons than that. Those are like the two I think are the most uh, captivating and viable, but there's more. So uh, I'm going to throw out some of these. Take the ones you like, throw out the ones you don't. Um, some you might think are heresy. That's fine. Um, <laughs> you don't have to believe them. Um, all right, so so we have like the how did everything come to be? How did everything come to be? And we have, okay, explanations. God created it or... Uh, it came really complicated by the, by the Big Bang. All right. And you say, okay, both of these take faith. Which one do I believe? Or some say, like, I actually think God is a good explanation of what happened in the Big Bang. It's a better reason than, than the scientists give. They think that everything had an origin, and I think it makes sense to say that was God. All right. Some of you don't believe in the Big Bang, which I understand, um, but some people do, and they, they think that's really helpful. All right. Other things. Um, we believe in life. We see life, yes, life, life, we believe. Uh, and you ask, okay, how did that come about? Did life come from no life or did life come from a life-giving God? And we say, which one makes more sense? I, I think a life-giving God creating life makes sense. Or we have something like the, the likelihood of life occurring randomly by chance, and we say, "Okay, let's hold both these up. They both take faith to believe. This had complete happened completely by chance, or, or God did it. Both are hard to believe, and you know it, this isn't foolishness to believe the one over the other." All right, we have things like the the fine-tuning argument, which says that if these uh, kind of like standards of the, the speed of light or the, the strength of gravity. And scientists have seen that if those, if those numbers are a millionth off, then planets don't come together, nothing coincides, and there would be no life as, as we explain it, as we see it. And we say, okay, it just happened to be like that or God did it. All right, both take faith. Which one do we believe? All right. So, that's creation. That's general revelation. We have reasons to believe. But, first off, none of these are airtight. And second, this is not enough. Our job is not to convince people that there is a God out there. Our job is to convince people that Jesus Christ died on, their, on the cross for their sins. Alright, so that's where we keep going. We don't stop there. We have to get the special revelation, scripture, to prove that the the things that happen are real in the Bible, and we can believe that this is actually the word of God. Now, how do we do that? Um, First of all, first of all, we have to be careful when we're talking about proving that the, the Bible is the word of God. Because, The word of God says it is the final authority. It is the authority above every authority. And when you have a final authority, you're not called to test the authority. You're called to sit under the authority. And there's a certain danger that when we say like, oh, let's prove this is the word of God. By bringing in history to test that word. Or science to test that word then we've actually done something you're not supposed to do with scripture. You're not supposed to hold other things against scripture. You're not supposed to test scripture. You're not supposed to look at the word of God and say, ah, I don't really believe you. I have a better standards that are going to test you, God. And that's where I, I challenge us to say that we're calling people to believe in the word of God as the word of God. Self-authenticating. It proves itself. It defends itself. Not calling people to, to test it to see if they like it or not. If that's what we're asking people to do, they'll never have the real scripture. They'll never have the real word of God. And that's where I think the best way to convince people that the word of God is the word of God is to let it out of the cage. It's its own lion. It has its own strength. It has its own power. The Holy Spirit is in it. And not in it, like, not like yeah, Not like he's in us. (laughs) He speaks through it. Um, And if we let that Word of God prove itself to be the Word of God. That's where the power is. And that's where we, we give people the Word of God and say, okay, like, look, at the, look at the focus on the glory of God. Look at the perfection of it. Look at how it comes together. Look at its consistency. Look at how it glorifies Jesus. And ultimately, we're calling people to hear the Word of God by the Spirit that the Holy Spirit comes and convinces people that this is the word of God because he tells them. Uh, I had a verse about that, but I can't find it. Ah, John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. All right, that's what we ultimately believe about scripture. That if it is the word of God, people will hear it. And if they don't want to follow the shepherd, they're not going to hear it. Because they don't want an authority. But, but, uh, that's not very convincing, I recognize. And to tell people, like, you know, you just need to receive the final authority as the final authority without any defense is not very helpful because they don't believe it's the final authority because they're not believers. So, uh, we can offer proof. We can offer defenses, but don't rest there. We don't believe the Bible is the Word of God because of that. These are just reflections of the fact that it is. So, uh, Let's take some things. Let's take prophecy. Let's take prophecy. A God who can, can speak to things that have not happened. Alright, supernatural, word of God kind of stuff. 1000 BC, David wrote Psalm 22. And what do we see in Psalm 22? We see this man who is forsaken by God. His hands and feet are pierced that those before him, they shake their heads and they mock him. It says that they divided my garments among them for my clothing they cast lots. And then a thousand years later, we see Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, nailed to the cross as those who behold them shake their heads and mock him as the soldiers cast lots of who gets to keep his garment. All right, that's it's shocking Isaiah 53 700 BC 700 years before it happened the suffering servant and we have this one who's described as the the lamb going to slaughter who is silent before its executioners as Jesus was silent before Pontius Pilate and we see these this description of by his wounds we are healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now they didn't know that Jesus was going to come. They didn't know how it was going to happen. When he got there, they were shocked by it. But then they looked back and saw, wait, this, this is exactly how it was supposed to happen. This is a perfect description of what Jesus Christ was going to do on the cross when he died and rose again. Alright, there are countless prophecies to look at. All right, we have other things. Like how the scripture has such a, a beautiful focus on Jesus and how the cross just goes throughout the whole thing. So we see all of these foreshadows of Jesus that you couldn't have explained without him. Alright, so you have pictures like uh, like the Passover lamb. The most classic example that this innocent one is, is killed. His blood washes the people clean from their sins so they're not destroyed and they partake of the body of this lamb. And then we have Jesus coming to the Passover explaining he is the lamb that he is the one whose blood will wash people clean. This is my body broken for you. Here we have pictures of the rock. that wanders through the wilderness and Moses strikes the rock and in striking it living water comes from it. And then we see later that Jesus is struck down so that he might provide living water for our souls. He might drink his very blood. We have the, so the example of the bronze serpent. So is like one of those just funky little stories. So all the people were rebelling, so God sends vipers to start biting them. Um, we talked about suffering and God. Yeah, God, God punishes sin. Um, he wants to show us that sin is sin. But what happens? So they put, they put a bronze serpent on a stick and they they stick him up here and then what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to look upon the bronze serpent and you'll be healed. So this symbol, this symbol of judgment and destruction becomes the means of salvation and then Jesus is put on a cross and we all gaze upon him and are delivered from our sin. He is the picture of judgment. He has become sin for us. Alright, this is throughout the Bible. Again and again and again, we have to explain that somehow. I cannot explain it any more than saying that, like God knew what He was doing. The perfection of these symbols is is amazing. All right, what more? We have the resurrection itself, the proofs of the resurrection. We talk about this like every Easter, uh, so you probably know them. All right, we have an empty tomb, which explains that something something happened. And then we have hundreds of witnesses. Hundreds of witnesses saying that they have seen the risen Jesus. That he is not dead, he is alive. Now someone might say, well that's not proof. That's not proof, a bunch of eyewitnesses a long time ago. Like, all right, in a court of law, what is proof that someone, like, eyewitnesses. You can get thrown in prison because of eyewitnesses seeing you do the thing. That's all there was. That's all that could be. To prove that Jesus rose from the dead. And we have it. Hundreds of them. Hundreds of them who saw his miracles. Who saw him die. Who saw him raised from the dead. And we see the aftermath. And you have to explain it somehow. How did all of these Jewish monotheistic people. Start. Worshipping. This one they claim to rise from the dead. Why would they die for him? Why would they give everything for him? If it never happened. How do you explain it otherwise? And there's proof that these things are real. We're not going to do manuscripts. Alright, I'm skip- yeah, skipping that again. Um, you guys lucked out. Not talking about manuscript traditions. Um, Alright, now let's get, get pretty pretty tangible practical. Some of you are like, I don't want to talk about all this with my friends. Like This is going to be super awkward. These are not the proofs that I want. So, here's another one. You've had personal experience that the Bible is the word of God. I know you have. That you've been rebuked by the word. You've been built up by the word. You've been encouraged. You've been struck to the bone by it. You've experienced it as the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You guys can speak to this. And you can say, I, I have heard the Lord speak to me through the scriptures. I've looked at the same passage 10 times in my life and it has killed me every single time in a different way. It has shown my sin. It has given me life. You can talk about that's That's real proof there. You'll say, oh, that's experience. Like, No, that's a witness. That's a testimony. And that's where I, I would encourage you, if you struggle with the, the Bible as the word of God, Read it. Read it and let it show you that it is. I feel like the people who struggle with this the most are the people who who don't read it. And you say, oh, I don't read it because I don't think it's the word of God. Maybe if you read it, you would believe it's the word of God. And the more you read it, the more you'll be convinced. I would challenge you to that. If you're struggling with scripture, read it. Hear the Holy Spirit in it. Alright but last last and finally like the greatest proof of all of these realities they all come together in Jesus. So we see out there the evil and the need for for justice and yet we see the sin inside of ourselves we feel our guilt and our shame and here we have Jesus who shows that all of those things are true but all of those things don't destroy us. That we long for forgiveness and we long for mercy and we long for grace. And there is Jesus. That we see Jesus and we cannot explain him as anything but God. That he is not a man. We, I hope that the scriptures have shown you that. That you've read them and you've, the Holy Spirit has shown you this is someone different. You cannot just explain him away. And in the cross of Jesus, I hope you have seen. The love of God. This love that you've seen is real and it is illustrated perfectly in the cross. That beauty is real and you've seen the beauty of God in the fact that the perfect God died for sinners. And you've seen the the goodness of God in Christ. You've seen all of these things come together in the person of Jesus. If you have witnessed that, Go tell people that you have seen Jesus, you have seen God in him, you have received mercy and grace and love, that all of these things are real in Jesus. And that's where ultimately, like, you are a proof. You are living proof that Jesus Christ is real. Your lives have changed. You have seen your sin. You have repented. You have found forgiveness and grace. Go be the living proof. And fill yourself with these, these reasons for your hope. And go give people the things that we proclaim. Go give people grace and give them mercy. Give them tangible and real love that they might know that you have experienced it in Jesus. That's the ultimate call. Don't let this all just just stay with you. Go bring it. Let's show people that it's real. And for those of you who don't yet believe, first of all, you have to look inside your heart and ask, like, do I want to believe? Could I believe if I, even if I thought it was true? Am I willing to submit? Am I willing to obey? Am I willing to have an authority that is not myself? And if you're willing to say that, read the word, go to Jesus, see Him. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and prove that these things are real. Test the things that you say you believe and see if they're consistent with the life out there. Have the courage to do that. Alright. And give Jesus all the glory. Amen. Alright. Questions. Questions. clear. All right, yeah, yeah, for sure. You may make a statement. That was great. Oh, 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 you can make all the statements you want. <laughs> all right. Any, any questions, Morgan? Yeah, sure. So uh, when you start talking about, especially like evil and morality and there being morality, yeah. Um, some people tend to not necessarily take it to the we're in an illusion, but sometimes people take it to the place of morality and courtesy towards each other's society, built by society right. in terms to help us just live peaceably and, for sure. you know, effectively. Right. So they're not discounting it as saying it's an illusion, but they're saying it's a construct made by humans. Right. What then would you advise to kind of yeah, start, for sure. speak into that? Right. I would I would bring up the, the subject of, of justice and what it looks like to to battle those things so that if another culture believes that it's okay to, to rape women can do we and say like, well, you, you can't go into there because this is just a cultural construct and they get to do what they want like no we, we don't believe that and we show that we don't actually believe it's just a cultural construct um, our actions betray a really good belief that this is more than that so I'd, I'd focus on that and like Okay, then can we just change the the social construct? And we realize like, no, we can't, and we don't want to, and um, and even like, how about I change the social construct with you and just take all your stuff? Suddenly they're not so like they're like no like let, let's keep that objective. Um, I'd, I'd go the justice route. Yeah, does that expl- answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Wait, you cause such encouragement to, to sweep through. All right, thank you. Uh, yeah. Can you speak more to why it's so important that beauty, truth, um, is objective instead of subjective? Yeah. Um, why it's important, yeah. Um like you talk like a lot about why it is objective. Right. Um I think if you're, we experience it as objective. And um, I think we can say that there's certain sort of standards for those things. That you can't just call ugly things beautiful. You can't call hate, love. And we all agree on certain definitions of what it looks like to love. And that's what we actually believe about it. To say that it's subjective is kind of like Morgan was saying. Then it, then it can be anything. It can blend. It can, but it can't. And when it does, we know that it's not love anymore. And we don't buy it. We know that it, there's more to it. Does that make sense? It's starting to get there. It, it's a difficult question. Yeah. Huh? Good? Letting me off easy. All right, thank you. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for... <coughs> for revealing yourself and Father we we thank you that you have opened many of our eyes and Father we ask that many eyes would be opened that rebellion would be turned into love and denial would be turned into acceptance and grateful rejoicing that you are the God that you are that you have created all things that you have paid for our sin and and taken on evil in Jesus Father, we just want to see you worshipped, and so Father, would you uh, help us to worship you in our hearts? Would you destroy all doubts? And would you give us great faith that we may enjoy Jesus, and we may share him with the world? We pray this in Jesus' name.